All right, welcome back to the Young Turks. A couple of great guests for you guys in a sec, in a second. So, in the the second guest is going to be Betsy Sweet. She's running for the Senate seat in Maine, so she could be a Just Democrat senator, which would be wonderful. And I think she, I I, I think at this point she's actually the favorite. So that would be fantastic. But first, joining us is Rokana. Uh, so let's get let's do that right now. Uh, joining me now is Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, great to have you here. Um, uh, I'm I'm going to ask some uncomfortable questions, so that's fun. Uh, but <laughs> of course, oh, Jenk, it's always good to be on. <laughs> yes, um, but but first, let's talk about uh, good news. Um, the $15 minimum wage uh, finally passed. So uh, it was supposed to be done the first hundred hours, but I'm past it because it got uh, it got done. That's that's what we care about. But my question is, what happened? Why did it go from an impasse to breaking through and, and actually getting passed in the House? Well, it shows what happens when progressives mobilize and stick to our guns. In this case, unlike in some other cases, we stuck to our guns. We didn't compromise. We didn't say there need to be exceptions. We didn't say let's do $12. We said the entire country wants $15 minimum wage. When you talk to folks, it's working, it's creating jobs. And it took six months, but it shows what happens when progressives have a spine and don't compromise on a fundamental value. So what what Republicans want in the House is, to be honest, fairly irrelevant because they just don't have enough votes. So the conservative Democrats obviously wanted you guys to compromise, and and you didn't, and so we got the result that the. Voters wanted, and they were fairly clear about that in every poll and in every ballot measure, including in places like Missouri and Arkansas. So, but what what changed leadership's mind? Because leadership almost always goes with conservative Democrats, and had been going with conservative Democrats for six months. They saw the polling on fifteen dollar minimum wage, which is, as you pointed out, through the roof, even in swing districts. They thought that this was something. Uh, that's an easier lift than Medicare for all uh, or a large infrastructure bill. Uh, and we started to make progress with some of the new Dems, some of the blue dogs. Uh, and there was a, a a lot of labor that uh, also supported this. So it's a successful mobilization effort. Uh, it should be replicated in other areas. So Congressman Connor, you, you're a just Democrat. And, uh, yes. and, uh, and obviously the president has been attacking uh, for the just Democrats who happen to all be women of color and and telling them to go back to to their country, criticizing Trump on that is is easy, uh, but but this all began with um, Democratic leadership attacking uh, those same four women, uh, and um, and but whenever progressives criticize leadership, it's considered unacceptable. Um, so. Why the double standard? What is the ethos and the etiquette in the House that leads to that double standard? Well, I think there's a a, a sense that we want to be unified as a caucus and have our fire on McConnell and on the president. That said, and I've said this publicly, I mean, I do think, I tweeted out that uh, I do think the fact that uh, the four women of color cast uh, lonely votes of dissent on the border funding bill uh, should be respected. It wasn't my position. I voted for the House bill and then voted against the Senate bill. 
But you've had cases like Barbara Lee, who cast lone votes and then uh, ultimately end up being uh, vindicated. So I uh, think we should have a conversation which says, uh, yes, if we're going to respect the diversity of opinion, and that means frontliners, that also means people uh, who represent districts uh, like the uh, Justice Democrats, women of color do. And I think the marginalization or dismissiveness of uh, how many followers they have and uh, their voting their conscience wasn't uh, correct. And so that, uh, I think, started uh, the the dispute. And then Maureen Dowd lit fire on it. That's her job as a journalist. Uh, but my hope is that uh, when uh, AOC meets with the speaker next week, that they can move forward because we frankly need them to be on the same page. But but that that's the essence of it, though, Congressman, which is that they're not. Uh, I, I actually- I actually think that they should just be more open and honest about their disagreements. And and so right now what we have is anytime AOC or, or, or Tlaib or Omar or anyone or yourself, you've gotten a lot of heat for this in the past, disagrees with leadership. It's considered some sort of breach of etiquette. How dare you criticize your colleagues, your beloved colleagues. But when Pelosi says green dream or whatever and sends her staffers to tell the healthcare industry we're never gonna do Medicare for all and and both publicly and privately attacks you guys, it's not a breach of etiquette. Like I just don't get it. So why don't we just be honest about it and say we don't agree and on these issues we don't agree, we will politically fight each other. Well, I think we should point out where we disagree on policy, but we should keep it to policy. So I think we can say we believe that the speaker should allow for a vote on Medicare for all. Uh, we believe that the speaker should put forward a bold uh, initiative uh, on climate change. Right now, I, as I mentioned before, I don't think we could get Vice President Biden's climate change plan to get a vote on the House floor. I mean, the only thing we voted on is getting back into the Paris Accords. Uh, we believe that uh, we shouldn't have arbitration and prescription drugs. So I don't think there's any problem with having a robust policy debate. I think this got out of hand where you personalize it. I mean, I've known the speaker for many years. I don't agree with her and I've on some issues and I've taken her on, as you know, on certain issues. Uh, but I don't think uh, that uh, she is singling out uh, women of color. I can understand why uh, women of color and the Justice Democrats feel uh, marginalized, but I think that that sort of went too far and it escalated. Fortunately, the president's comments in some ways, I mean, as despicable as they were, uh, have unified the party. So my view is how can we disagree, be bold in our convictions without getting it to a point which it gets exploited uh, by uh, others? Yeah, look, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, I think that AOC would clarified her remarks and 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 means it when I she agree. said uh, look I, I didn't mean that Pelosi was attacking women of color she I, I meant that while women of color are being attacked endlessly and then Trump proves her right spectacularly that that others should not pile on uh, that are on our side uh, and and so look I, but I actually funny enough like of course I agree with that and I agree with you that it not to make it personal but there is one side of it that once you start talking about policy, the other side takes personally. That is a real issue, and I, in fact, I'm a, I think it's the number one issue. It's systemic corruption. So, when, like, for example, you're a, a part of the Bernie Sanders campaign, right? You're one of the chairs, right. 
And he just released this really interesting proposal that you should not take money from healthcare executives if you're gonna vote right. on healthcare. So that's wonderful because that says, okay, let's remove that incentive from the system because it's a corrupting incentive. But when you say that, the corporate Democrats flip out and they say, well, you're personally attacking me. I don't know how to phrase it other than don't take the money, otherwise it has a corrupting influence. Well, I think that's a policy argument. So here's what I would say. I'd say we're all part of a system that has uh, corruption, right? I mean, I uh, have to go, I don't take PAC or lobbyist money, but I uh, go raise money as do many other justice Democrats from individuals who can give up to $2,700. And ideally we shouldn't have that. We should just have every citizen be able to give funds. So we all are part of a system that has corruption and we all should be fighting for reform. And when Bernie Sanders says that, we shouldn't be taking healthcare executive money. He's not saying, in my view, that some in some holier than thou way. He's saying that this is a fundamental problem with our system, and that he's going to set an example to try to bring change. And I don't think people should take that as a personal attack. Now, if you were to say, uh, Senator X or uh, uh, Congressman Y is corrupt or has corrupt intent, that would be a personal attack. But pointing out systemic flaws in the system, I think is fair. On the other hand, <laughs> so <laughs> look, let's look at Biden. Well, push back, Jenk. I mean, I, if, you, if you feel, you know, just we, we text often, and Jenk is often pushing back on me privately, so <laughs> in, in a good way. So feel right. free to, to push back. <laughs> yeah, oh, go ors. So look, I, I love that you come on and have these honest conversations. I, I, you know, you should, you deserve an enormous amount of credit for that. Uh, because people don't know the kind of pressure you're under for to respect your colleagues, and they always interpret that as you should do everything I tell you. Anyway, <laughs> but but uh, the reason I said on the other hand, in all seriousness, is that uh, Joe Biden's campaign chairman uh, story out today in American Prospect by uh, David Dayan uh, is a guy who was a lobbyist for massive healthcare companies, and his brother uh, continues to be. Uh, and he has in in 2011 he made 1.8 million dollars as an advisor because he had to call himself a non lobbyist in order to get a job with the Obama administration, which he did, and you know the revolving door and all that stuff. Sure. Look, do I think that guy's personally corrupt in the way that uh, Donald Trump is? No, Donald Trump is like like literally very personally corrupt. And yes, I mean everything bad about that, and I intend it as a personal insult, which it is. Okay, but. But Washington is filled with guys like Biden's campaign chairman who are significantly systematically and systemically corrupt. So what do we do with that? I think we pointed out, I think we point out the revolving door. I think we point out his financial interest. And then we ask questions about whether this is one reason why we don't have a Medicare for all as a standard platform for the Democratic Party when polling shows 70 to 80% of people believe in that. Uh, but so I think that there is a way to present these issues factually, uh, letting people decide uh, that doesn't, you know, make an ad hominem attack. But I think absolutely we need to point out uh, who's calling the shots and what financial interests they may have, and then let voters decide. All right, one last thing, Congressman. Uh, so you you did not uh, vote uh, against the House version of the detention center bill, as you pointed out earlier in the interview. Uh, why didn't you? 
Well, I thought the House version actually had some very good provisions. It uh, clarified that we needed health standards. It clarified that we needed standards for emergency care and doctors' uh, access to that. It clarified that we needed uh, to give certain supplies. Uh, It had uh, much more accountability where members of Congress and others would be able to visit these detention facilities. Uh, And I, I do think they need more funding to be able to take care of these individuals. The problem has been the Trump administration has misappropriated that funding. I thought the safeguards in the House bill, though not perfect, uh, were fairly good. Now, I respect the uh, my colleagues, uh, the, the Women of Color Justice Democrats, the squad, uh, for having a different take on that. Uh, that's why you have a democracy and you can have people of good faith uh, come out in different ways. What I didn't think was fair is, uh, is saying somehow that they, that you had to vote for the House bill, and if you didn't vote for the House bill, you didn't care about the children. I mean, that's absurd. Uh, on the other hand, I think people of good faith could say, look, the House bill was what we, the best we could get in the circumstances, and in our judgment, was the best we were going to do in the, in the circumstance. And I, I think democracy, a healthy democracy, needs uh, all these different perspectives. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't that hard, right? So I, I'm not sure that I agree with you on your vote. But you sure. explained it why? There it is. Why can't we just do that? <laughs> right? and, and by the way, you know, this is why people can criticize or run or <laughs> should come and interview with you and uh, shouldn't uh, be concerned about primary competition. I mean, people say, "Oh, Ro, you won't ever get primary competition." I had two or three people last time running the primary. Did you hear me saying, "Oh, don't give them consultants"? Or no, that's democracy. Have the courage of your convictions. Stand for something. Let people know where you stand. There are times that I have voted uh, with uh, the, the squad. There are times I voted against the squad, but I always explain my rationale, and then you let people decide. And I think ultimately uh, that's what people crave uh, in this country. Just they, they don't crave a standard of purity. They crave a standard uh, of transparency. And too often yes. uh, what frustrates people is that lack of transparency or accountability. Yeah, another word for that is honesty. But we're not criticizing Democratic colleagues. Anyway, uh, Congressman Khanna proving that he is a representative of Silicon Valley, even though his iPhone earpiece fell on in the middle of the interview. He just soldiered on and he did not criticize them. (laughs) (laughs) They've got plenty of things that they could be criticized for these days, so don't want to pile on. That's right. right. I will say one thing, Jake, if we got two minutes or a half a minute even. You know, we passed this major amendment on Iran, 251 votes to 170 votes to keep us out of war in Iran. The House passed it uh, by pushing like anything for the Senate to pass it. It's one reason. I mean, look, in this system, as we're talking candidly, uh, the decisions of whether we get votes on that, the decisions on how you build these coalitions are determined in part by leadership. And one of my uh, dilemmas has always been, how do I be effective on issues like Yemen and Iran and Medicare for all and work within a system? And how do I be true to my values? And that I think every progressive legislature finds uh, having to balance that. Right, look, I mean, in that vote, as well as so many others, you consistently and look, I, you're not on and you're not a just Democrat because we have some random bias in favor of you. It's the opposite because you consistently do the right things. That's why we, in our honest coverage, say, look, the guy fights hard, he gets results. And so uh, this idea that progressives uh, don't get results is a total mainstream media myth. It's the, exact, 
It's the exact opposite, and it's shown day in and day out. So, and, con- yeah. yeah. And the Justice Department is like a team. You know, you need some people who will take three point shots, other people who will make the bank shots. You need the whole team. And so I think, that, and that's where I think that the marginalization of these women of color was wrong because even if you disagree with them, they're adding perspective, they're representing millions of people by definition. And you've got to, if you want them to respect you, then you have to respect them as elected officials. That ultimately, I think, was what's the worst part of the president's uh, attack. He's attacking an elected official and by that attacking the 700 some thousand people uh, that they represent. Yep. All right, Congressman Rokana, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, uh, when we come back, uh, the woman who is going to take Susan Collins' uh, seat in the Senate. All right, back on the Young Turks. Joining me now is Betsy Sweet. Uh, she's a candidate for the Senate seat in Maine, going up against Susan Collins eventually. Uh, and she is a new Justice Democrat. Betsy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I, it's great to be with you. All right, uh, great to have you here. Uh, and uh, so you have been executive director of the Maine's Women's Lobby. Uh, you helped to write and pass the first medical Leave Act in, in, in Maine in 2017, and you uh, did the Civil Rights Team Project. Um, so, uh, of course, that means you do not get the support of the Senate Democrats. Uh, <laughs> and uh, okay, I've got a lot of thoughts on that, but let me ask you um, why do you think that is? Shouldn't they stay out of primaries? Uh, why are they backing someone else? Yeah, I think. Yes, they should stay out of primaries. I think that's the way the democracy should work. And um, I think that I have been an advocate here in Maine, as you said, for the last almost four decades, making things happen here in Maine. Uh, Family Medical Leave Act, the first clean elections uh, public financing program in the country. And I think they have a formula that they believe is going to work to um, replace Susan Collins in the Maine Senate. I think it's a formula that is old and that is tired and that isn't going to win against Susan Collins. But I think that's what they believe and they think I don't fit that profile. And so they've backed someone with a much more traditional political ladder background. Um, I know what that formula is. Do you know enough rich people? That's the formula. Uh, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, uh, Chuck Schumer tells us he knows how to win. Uh, I'm not sure that that's been... Historically accurate, let's put it that way. So now, but there's, and I'm sorry to start on this sour note, but I let's keep it real. This is it's interesting, and it and it's really the fight that goes on in in most of the primaries throughout the country. Now, another huge group that's come out in favor of your opponent in the Democratic primary is Emily's List. Now, Emily's List is supposed to be for women's rights, reproductive rights. It seems like you are, in, I mean, you're the executive director of the Maine Women's Lobby. So am I missing something or are you secretly anti-choice or something? <laughs> no, I've been pro-choice for the last 40 years and actually back in the 80s when it was really hard to be pro-choice politically, that was the work I was doing. So I don't, again, I think it's a political formula that they're buying into and what they believe is correct. But the one thing I know, Chank, is that Maine people do not like it when Washington political operatives tell us who to vote for. And so I'm talking to Maine people. I've worked with Maine people for all these years, and I think we're gonna have the last say. 
but I was told that you know if you vote for Democrats that leadership agrees with, you'll have powerful people like Joe Crowley who will deliver for you. And if you vote for upstarts like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you won't have any power or voice. <laughs> How did that turn out? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I thought about before jumping into this race is how are we going to beat Susan Collins? There, I think people in Maine and people all over the country want that to happen. And there's only one way. We can't out Susan Collins, Susan Collins. The only thing that we can do is make sure that we have disaffected, cynical voters and new, lots of new young people and immigrant new American voters to get excited about politics and get involved and engaged. And what's exciting them and getting them involved is people who are active, bold positions, you know, Green New Deal, $15 minimum wage, Medicaid, Medicare for all. That's what's getting people excited, getting rid of college debt. And that is not in the playbook of the traditional policy. who are afraid to say anything about that, afraid to come out about the racism that's happening from the president. You know, we need people who are going to speak because that's what's going to excite people. And it's the right thing to do, but that's what's going to get them to vote. Uh, by the way, the website is BetsySuite.com. Uh, and but you say that you know you're uh, going to take the fight to them. Um, but I, I looked up your policy plank here, uh, Medicare for all. You say no one should go without health care. I will fight like hell for this. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like maybe you're missing your words. Yeah, no, yeah, I don't really believe in it. But you know, Chang, I'm a single mom of three kids. And I have fought to have my own health care for a long time. So now not only do we have health, do we need health care, but even those people who have health care, we can't afford the $5,000 deductibles and the rates that we have. Mainers have said loud and clear, we want expansion of health care. We had a referendum just last year and we expanded Medicaid to 70,000 people because the legislature wouldn't do it. And the governor, the right wing governor we had wouldn't do it. But the main people spoke very clearly. The big question is, why isn't Susan Collins representing that position in the US Senate? So let, let's talk about Susan Collins. So I, I find it deeply frustrating that um, the mainstream media call her a moderate Republican um, because two or three times she votes with Democrats out of the hundreds of votes that are uh, taken in the Senate. Uh, what percentage of time does she support Donald Trump? Well, I've seen two different numbers. One is 80% and one is 87% of the time. But you know, Cenk, Susan Collins has changed. I think the whole Republican Party has changed. Where she used to may have been the senator from Maine, she is now the senator of Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. And we need someone on our side down in Washington. So uh, the, there's an interesting dynamic in the Maine race because there was what, about $4 million raised to defeat Susan Collins. Uh, but that is only gonna go to the Democratic general election candidate. So whoever wins the primary gets that jackpot in a sense. And it was raised by grassroots progressives who were furious with uh, with uh, uh, her for uh, backing Kavanaugh, right? right? And so now corporate Democrats see that and go, mm, that's a nice jackpot. Why don't we jump on top of that and grab it? Uh, thank you very much, progressive activists, we'll take your money. Um, now, this is the biggest softball ever, but it's true because I mean it and I'm not hiding my opinion. Shouldn't have progressive activists get the money raised by progressive activists? Well, you'd hope so. <laughs> and I think that's, I mean, you know, I, when, when Susan Collins voted for Brett Kavanaugh, it was a punch to the gut 
to so many people here in Maine. And progressives got together and said, we don't have the corporate the corporate influence, the corporate money that Susan Collins is going to have. But we have people, real people, everyday Mainers and everyday people across this country who are saying, you left us just when we needed you most. And that money definitely should go to someone who is going to be pro-choice, pro-healthcare, and pro-progressive. Yeah. And so when the Democratic leadership comes in and says, well, since the press calls her a moderate Republican, we should go with a moderate Democrat who will be proud to vote with Republicans from time to time. Ah, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not why the $4 million was raised. Yeah, BetsySweet.com. BetsySweet.com is right. And you know, I don't think we are gonna out Susan Collins, Susan Collins. If we run the same kind of race that she does, raising big money, putting on negative ads, all the stuff that people hate, people are gonna say, let's stay with the person we have. We need someone bold, running a people's campaign, a grassroots campaign, kitchen table, the kitchen table, back of lobster boat to back of lobster boat. That's the work I've done for 40 years and that's the kind of campaign I'm running. I think that that's a first. The first time that I've heard back of lobster boat. Okay, <laughs> well, all right, well I like it already. I mean. Well, my was a lobsterman and I spent a lot of time hanging out on the back of lobster boats with lobster men and women. <laughs> okay. Um, if, if ever there was a guy who enjoyed lobster, it would be me. Okay, so uh, I had best uh, lobster bisque of my life in Maine, which is unsurprising. Come back, we'll feed you again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, seriously though, uh, maybe the most important issue I saved for last, which is um, the anti-corruption work that you've done. So Maine uh, has public financing. So tell us yeah. about how that got passed, what your role in it was, and then we'll talk about what we can do at the Senate. In 1996, we were horrified that uh, we, being a bunch of progressive groups, that the it cost $6,000 to run for a state Senate seat. <laughs> so now it's about $300,000, but we were horrified back then. So I uh, assembled a group of young interns in the summer and we sat in my attic and it was hot and we went through paper, um, tons and tons of paper because nothing was electronic then, to look for places where contributions actually changed votes. And we found them in plenty of them. And so we put together, a, we, a bunch of us and the Secretary of State at the time put together a law that allowed for public financing of elections of our state uh, representatives and senators. When it was first passed, and so everyone said to us, you can't pass that and that's never gonna pass. No one's done that in the country. And we said, you wanna bet? That's sort of what I do all the time. And um, so we passed this law because the, the evidence was perfectly clear and they couldn't deny it. And so we had this incredible financing of, of public financing of elections where people give $5 um, and you get a lot of people to give $5 and then you get, you get funds for that. I ran for governor two years ago and I was the only Democrat to run as a clean elections candidate. And we did incredibly well, way better than any of the inside Democrats thought we would ever do. They thought we'd come in seventh place in a seven way primary. And we came in a very tight third. And we, if we had won second place, I think we would have won. Um, but anyway, so that's how it passed because people see, they don't want corruption. We all see it. Every American feels it in their gut that money is corrupting politics. Those corporate interests, those special interests are why we don't have healthcare for all. It's why we don't do anything about climate change. You know, it's why we keep having fossil fuel subsidies instead of investing in clean energy. You know, that the one common denominator is money in politics. And it is the thing that keeps, keeps the US Congress from making any changes at all. 
So Betsy, you have tremendous credibility on this because you actually fought for it and and won in your state on it. But what's gonna happen if you get into the Senate is Chuck Schumer's gonna pull you aside and say, hey Betsy, you gotta cut that talk of corruption out because it's offending your Democratic colleagues. Yeah, good luck, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think maybe you could run your whole primary campaign on hashtag good luck, Chuck. <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're out of time, but God, it'd be great to have a senator who actually fought the corruption. Uh, so, uh, and obviously, Betsy's a, a just Democrat, so she's not taking corporate PAC money. I mean, I, if you, that wasn't clear to you, that, <laughs> let me just make it over the top clear. Betsy.com slash donate. Uh, so she needs the small dollar donations to be able to win, and she needs those volunteers. BetsySuite.com slash volunteer. And all those links will be down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, Betsy, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And you know, thanks for all the support for the people's campaigns that you do all the time, because it is that's how we're gonna make change. And so people's campaigns need people. So hopefully people will step in and we'll make this happen. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thanks. All right. Um, God, that'd be great. <laughs> Let's see if we can make it happen. It's not like we haven't done it before, right? Go get them, guys. All right. Now, when we come back, I got a couple of fun topics for you guys in the post game. Why did I make Anna nervous before her CNN appearance? Uh, why did I not uh, post more live videos on my vacation? Uh, what is wrong with vacations? Uh, also, what is right with vacations? Lots of just fun topics for you guys if you're members. TYT.com slash trial to become a member and check out the post game. We'll see you there.